This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on Jace Baserman. So um, I met Jace. He had me on his podcast, Born Hunting Podcast. It was a great conversation where we kind of talked about 30,000 foot of bow hunting and and what I'm working on to be better, what he's working on. So it just went great. Uh, tune in and listen to that one over off his feed. And so then I lined up a podcast here on Eastman's Elevated uh, to kind of continue the conversation. So today we go more in depth with uh, the stalking and uh, high percentage, low percentage, and kind of those moves inside the red zone of of chasing these critters out west, spot and stalk. And Jace is super knowledgeable. He's a great instructor and really articulates his points well. So it was just a great back and forth. I really enjoyed the episode. You guys are going to enjoy it too, as it's a a bunch of in-depth bow hunting uh, information that'll help you become better. So we'll get right into the podcast. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank OnX. So I use OnX. Uh, I, they should probably pull up a time, like my screen time on, on X and it would be ridiculous as I use it for all my scouting and all my hunting. Uh, I, I pile over the different maps and they have so many different tools on, on X that the more time you spend on it, the more you learn. And one of the ones I've been using recently is to mark animals where I'm going to stalk them. And you can click on the compass, you can get a direction, and then you can get a distance away. So you shoot it with your rangefinder, and then right on the app, you can set that distance to put exact pins where those animals are at. So when I get over on that other hillside, I know where that animal should be and where I'm stalking to, is it always looks different when I get over there. So I've been using that feature, I've been using the tracker, but it it's just such a handy tool uh, to be able to scout and hunt. And um, it really makes me more effective and plays a huge part in my success. So make sure to check them out over at OnX. I also want to thank Outdoor Edge Knives. So Outdoor Edge Knives, they're a replaceable blade uh, knife that you can use in the field. And um, they're just amazing. They're built like a little sturdier uh, than, than that scalpel knife. So, um, they're just a little bit more hardy. They keep a really good edge. And then if they get dull, I can just change the blade. I can usually do a deer and antelope with one blade and then an elk. I'll use a couple blades as their, their hide is just so thick that once that blade starts to get dull, I just have to work harder at it. And it's so nice to be able to change it out and have a brand new blade. So, this saves me a ton of weight also, as I don't have to bring multiple knives or sharpeners. I just bring this one lightweight knife and then, um, you know, bring a few extra blades and good to go. So make sure to check them out over at uh, Outdoor Edge Knives. And thanks to those guys for their support. I also want to thank Black Ovis. 
Uh, Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next purchase. Uh, you can put in the promo code EXTRA10 this month and save 10% off your order. So uh, anything you need to upgrade this season, uh, make sure to go check them out. 10% is a great savings. Uh, carry all the top name brands as well as their own name brands. So check those guys out and thanks to their support over at Black Ovis. I also want to thank Camo Fire. Uh, Camel Fire is an app uh, where you have a bunch of new hunting deals that come up, like 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours. You can save a pile of money on the gear that comes up here, uh, top name brands as well. So check that app out and save yourself a bit of money. And over at Eastman's, um, just ran over to the office, uh, had some good meetings over there. Uh, been recording that podcast with Dan Picard, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Life of a Bow Hunter. Really been enjoying that. In fact, I need to get Dan back on this week and record one. I'm thinking we'll dive into maybe some elk tactics or something like that. So you can check out that podcast. Uh, check out the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. I just wrote the Anchored In for Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, which. Um, is such a dream come true for me. Like I used to race to my mailbox to get these magazines and, and still do. I still read every issue cover to cover. I like having the magazine. And, um, you know, I used to read the Anchored In by Cameron Haynes or Guy Eastman or these guys. And now they gave me the opportunity to write the Anchored In for this issue, which I'm super pumped about. Also have another article in there that I wrote on application strategy you can check out. So check out the magazines, uh, the podcast, Beyond the Grid. Um, there's a bunch of episodes on there. I guess there was a, a episode of mine that went out to TV that we're going to be editing for Beyond the Grid. So that'll be fun to see it come out on the internet where everybody can see it. I actually haven't seen the episode yet. I need to um, sit down and watch it. So, um, yeah, check that out, Beyond the Grid, and everything we're doing over there at Eastman's. I'm going to be at that Western Hunting Expo. Make sure to stop by and say hi if you're around, and uh, be recording some podcasts there, and um, hanging out in the booth, and then um, seeing what I, what else, what other kind of trouble I can get into there. So, um, I'd definitely be applying for some tags, and just hoping to get lucky this year, but season's starting to come together, at least with... Um, the tags I have and the apps I have in and um, it's going to be a great 2024. I can't wait. So I've uh, just been putting in the work um, man just kind of uh, went back through the garage, orchestrated and organized that as we had a snowy cold weekend. Definitely got in my runs and got in my shooting but um, really getting this garage put together which is nice to have it exactly the way I want it. So um, yeah that's been pretty rewarding and um, spending some good family time. Been watching my, all my daughter's basketball games. She's down to her last one and then she'll start in on softball and um, yeah after the expo I've got a family trip coming up so doing all the little things to set myself up for success in 24. So I'm pumped. This is a great conversation, you guys. Jace is so knowledgeable. And um, man, it's just a, I've had two really good conversations, one on his feed on Born Hunting Podcast, and then um, one on this feed that you guys will listen to now. It's just a great conversation. I, we have been putting videos up on YouTube. I've been, um, uh, capturing like every episode of Eastman's Elevated, every episode of Life of a Bow Hunter. We've been putting those out on YouTube. Today, there is not a video. Um, so we just didn't have the best internet connection. And 
the audio is uh, uh, really good. Like the first 10 minutes, I had to clean up a little bit. But um, yeah, you just never know what the internet service is going to be like. It's why it gets tough doing these remote. But uh, the recording came out good. We just weren't able to um, capture the video on this one. So we'll have video backup for you guys next week. And with that, let's get into this podcast. It's a great one. Jace Baserman, uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Dude, man, it was um, such a good conversation the other day. So you had me on your podcast and um, Born Hunting podcast. And so uh, you guys can click over and, and uh, go find that conversation. Man, it was one of my favorites. What a great podcast, Jace. Dude, that was so fun. Like we just... Um... You know, it's, it's one of those things like we talked about a little bit before when you jump on a podcast, I mean, you kind of might have some of these ideas Well, we may talk about this, we may go down this rat hole, we may do who knows what, but like it just flowed the entire time. And, you know, like you said, I think you said when we got off, you know, we never got into like the finite pieces of stocking, you know, closing those last few you few yards all the different things that can go into it um but we just kind of gave a broad spectrum gamut of a lot of things and i mean it was just awesome to get to talk about mental toughness physical toughness you know your shooting regimen um all the things that you should be really focusing on right now as you start really honing your skills to prepare for the prepare for the fall yeah dude it it clicked it's like uh two like-minded bow hunters that get together and start chatting and an hour an hour and 20 whatever it was just flew by so yeah congratulations Congratulations on the podcast, man. Um, yeah, everybody should go click over. You'll probably release that, what, in a couple weeks or so? Yeah, that one's going to be out. I think we have that one already scheduled because I told uh, I told Reese, I said, hey, man, let's let's go ahead and bump this up. I think that one's like the middle or latter part of next week. Uh, he sends me an update on Monday. Um, so I'll let you know when it's going to come out. But it's going to be like mid to latter part of next week. But yeah, I'm super stoked about that one, man. Like you said, cool. it, so- it was just a great podcast. Yeah. Oh, dude. A plus. Yeah. So um, by the time you, you guys are listening to this podcast, it'll be out. So yeah, go search for it over at Born Hunting. And yeah, just stoked for like another good bow hunter to have a podcast and these guys to have content to listen to. Maybe just one of those guys that's consistently successful with his bow. And I love watching your social media because uh, I can I can tell your experience level and commitment to archery just by your knowledge. Oh, man, I so appreciate that. You know, um, I always felt like um one, one of my gifts was just was was being an educator. So like, and that's what I started out as I mean, and, and I still consider myself an educator, but I started out like literally as a fifth grade school teacher, both my parents um, are school teachers, they're both retired now. Um, my, my mom taught special education for 32 years, and my dad taught business and accounting. So there was like this, this huge teacher um, background for me. And when I, when I went to college, honestly, I was like, I had no idea what I really wanted to do, but I got in this early childhood development class and I was like, oh man, this is what I, this is what I want to do. I want to hang out with kids all day because, you know, my brain is that of a child. I feel like most of the time. And, um, so yeah, man, it was just kind of a natural <laughs> avenue. And then as I started teaching these kids um, and then I kind of got into coaching and it was like, man, this is a real passion of mine. And then when I, when I, when I gave up teaching and I went into full-time freelance writing and, and, and outdoor work and, and the different stuff that I do, um, it was, it was like, well, I just wanted to carry that over because, you know, I didn't grow up in a hunting family at all. Um, nobody in my family hunts. And so like, I would have taken advice from, I just, I wanted to soak up and immerse myself in as much good knowledge as I could. So today, if by some small, small margin, I can help somebody with that. Like, I really consider that my responsibility to do that because without others doing that for me, um, I, I wouldn't be living the life that I am right now. Yeah, man. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, 
it's an art, isn't it? The teaching, like being able to reach people, give them the right information, the right delivery method, um, you know, and, and we're in the information day and age. And I think this is like such a huge part of the game. Like um, my, my learning curve is probably similar to yours. And you started off without having a mentor or like, like you say, no family background. And so for me and you, it was like the school of hard knocks. Like there, it really was. You know, I read every book out there. I watched videos. I like I like tried to figure it out to the best of my abilities. But ultimately, it was like such a gray area to know what the right or the wrong move was. And I just had to learn by screwing up a ton. And I I do think like making mistakes and failing is a big part of learning. You know, that's like part of the process. But you definitely don't have to fail as much as I did. And and I'm just guessing probably as much as you did. Like those guys, oh <laughs> it, if they pay attention, they can really cut that learning curve. Oh man, it, c it can cut it so, so much. Um, it was funny, you know, you were talking about that learning curve in, in, in social media just a little bit earlier. Um, I was scrolling through uh, social media, looking at some stuff last night and I went over to your page and uh, I was looking at that post. I, I think it was from, I think it was from this last fall where it was a real rainy kind of crap day and you're sitting in front of it, just kind of talking to the camera. And then you move to, to your right or left. And then there's this, there's this beautiful buck, you know, laying on the ground that you'd arrowed um, during, during kind of that crappy type of day. And I, it just took me back to, um, you know, prong, pronghorn is, it, that's how I cut my bow hunting teeth. Um, that, that's, that's the only tag that I knew I could get for sure. This is, this is how raw I was when I started. It's the only tag I knew I could get for sure. And every time I'd go out coyote hunting or something like that on the, on the prairie, I was like, well, I can see them. So I, I truly started to believe in my heart. Like, well, if I can see them, I mean, I know they're fast. Uh, people tell me they have really good eyes, but I, I, I should be able to get close to them. If I can see it, I can kill it was kind of my mentality with that. And then, oh my gosh, man, that first, that first buck, I think it was, I, I'd have to go back and check my journal, but I think it was upwards of 55 or 56 failed stocks before I, before I connected um, and, and took my first uh, archery pronghorn. So like, yeah, man, that was, um, that was like a super, super, super special experience. And, uh, and, and that learning curve as I went through that entire season of those 50 plus failed stocks. I mean, I really wouldn't have had it any other way, but like, I promise you if there was like, if, if we had the information age that we had now, when I started doing that, I probably wouldn't have had 55 or 56 failed stocks. <laughs> oh, Jace, man, I feel your pain. Uh, those uh, those antelope can be so difficult, and I'm in the same boat. Like, well, at least you got it done that season. I remember when I started, it was like mission impossible, and and nobody knew you could really kill them with a bow. And so I think it took me three seasons. It was my third season before I arrowed an antelope with my bow and just failed stock after failed stock. And, and still, antelope presents such a challenge, and I, I think – that's why like antelope hunting or these high opportunity hunts like antelope, uh, they really sharpen your skills because you get to go out and, and you spend most of your time stalking and not looking for an animal. And like a, a mule deer or an elk hunt, like, you know, you may only get one stalk or maybe three or four if you're lucky, but antelope, you can get three or four in a day, you know, and so that really helps to like sharpen your skills of knowing what you can get away with and what you can't. Those antelope are so switched on that you never kill any of them by accident. It's like you have to do everything right. And then um, 
you know, like like we were talking on your podcast, like different species and different habitats sharpens your skills in different ways. And antelope really sharpens your stalking skills and your shooting skills, as most of them are longer range. They're a smaller animal. Like, um, man, it's like a, 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 I think that really sharpens your skill set or I think it really prepares you for deer and elk season and being clutch on those stalks. I think so too, man. I think that if um, I tell people all the time, you know, if they, if they're looking to come west, uh, especially for the first time, and and I I also always get upset when people be like, well, antelope's a great, you know, entry level animal, and it, I always felt like what people would 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 almost take away from 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 antelope hunting with a bow, um, but it truly is. I mean. It is a great way to get your feet wet out west. Um, it's a great way to come out. I mean, that's one of the species where, you know, tags are pretty readily available. You can draw them pretty easy. You know, some states still have an OTC system for pronghorn and you can go out and you can get out on the plains and you can mix it up. And and like you were saying, one of the things that's cool about antelope is their visibility. Um, it, they're not a hard creature to find. They're a very hard creature to put a carbon arrow through, but they're not a hard creature to find. So you kind of, if you can keep your mental game sharp and um, just realize that failure is going to be part of that process, you can you can get stock after stock after stock. And, and, and like you said, often three, four, five times a day, whereas other big game animals, I mean, you might go three, four, five days without even seeing one. Here, you, you know, I've seen, you know, had days, I'm sure you have too, where it's like, man, I've seen 20 to 25 different bucks and I had five or six stocks. And that's where you can really learn and immerse yourself in that spot and stock game. And they will humble you, but they will teach you so fast um, how you can be so much more efficient as a bow hunter. And then when you go and you're on that elk hunter, on that mule deer hunter, on that sheep hunter, whatever it may be, you are going to have, it just hones your, your spot and stock skills so much. And then, like you said, you're shooting. I think my average shot distance on pronghorn is like 52 and a half yards, um, which, which, which is a, you know, a healthy distance. So it, it's just a great animal to go after. I just, I, I have the ultimate respect for him too. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, it's my funnest hunt of the year. You know, it's like you spend right? so, so much time. So yeah, dude. It's like uh, there's such a riot to hunt because you spend so much of your time stalking them. But yeah, it's like you really learn, you know, a lot of them are in open terrain. Like you learn how to use the ungulation or any topography out there on the landscape and, and be able to use it to your advantage. And and you also learn a lot about what a high percentage stock is, what a low percentage stock is, because there's some antelope that I see out in the middle of a flat that when I was younger, I'd go out and try to belly crawl for hours and try to get out there. And, and I just end up blowing it because it was such a low percentage stock. So instead, you know, there's antelope that I won't even stock, even if they're a great big buck, because they're just not in the right spot. And so it like really teaches you what a high percentage stock is, what a low percentage stock is. And now there's a bunch of hunts that can do this. We're talking about antelope now, but I know, you know, I have some mule deer hunts that are absolute action where I'm getting stocks every day. Uh, you know, Axis deer in Hawaii is another place where I can really sharpen my skills. And like my Hawaii buddies are so good at bow hunting because they're able to hunt Axis and get all these chances. And 
axis is similar to antelope, like not the same species or anything like that, but they're similar as they're really switched on and really tough to kill, even if you do everything right. And it's like you make one mistake and they catch it. So I think this is like such an important piece of improving your bow hunting game is finding these high opportunity hunts. And heck, like Montana, they'll give you five whitetail doe tags over the counter. And even for a non-resident, I think they're like 50 or 75 bucks, but go out and try to stock a whitetail doe out on the river bottom. And you find out real quick, like how switched on whitetail are as well. Oh my gracious. That's, that's such a good point because whitetail are like, oh my gosh, they are, they're, they're every bit as switched on as, as, as pronghorn. Um, they're just not as fast, <laughs> but they can still <laughs> move pretty good, but they, they're just not as fast. But, um, yeah, man, that's, that's just, that's the absolute truth. I mean, I think when you start maximizing your opportunities and, um, and I'll still do that, like here in Colorado, like this year, for instance, um, you know, I drew, um, my, my, my list a tag was, um, a whitetail buck tag. So that was my list a tag whitetail buck archery. Um, I couldn't hunt muley on that tag. It was a whitetail only, but then I always go on because there's a lot of leftover dope permits and that's how I do it. I, I want to spot and stock during that time. Um, and whether I get that dough or not, it, it, it doesn't become about that. It just becomes about me trying to do something that's outside of the norm. Because I think a lot of times when you, you, when you, and do something else that's where you really find some things that work i mean i've come across so many things that i'm like oh man i mean even stuff that people are like don't ever do this when you're bow hunting don't ever do this when you're doing this it's like well i did it and it really worked and then i did it again and now i've kind of in you know brought it into my system where it, it, it's a part of uh, of almost every bow hunt spot and stock situation so um but yeah man that's you know maximizing your opportunity is huge and like you were saying, like when you can get to a spot where you got like those five doe tags or, you know, what, you know, going to, to, to Hawaii, like you do in hunting access deer and different things like that, that is just more feathers in your cap for experience level and execution of that shot. Because I mean, I've told people all the time, I mean, if you want to be, if, if, if you want to be stone cold during crunch time, if you want to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are going to put that arrow where it needs to go, then you need to settle your pin on lots of hide. I mean, um, targets, I mean, we talked about that a lot during my podcast. Does it help? Absolutely. Does your form and all that stuff help? Absolutely. But in my opinion, nothing trumps being able to let that pin sit on a specific spot on a living, breathing creature that you intend to kill and be able to control that process and understand what that feels like and what that looks like. And the more I did that, that's where I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I can handle this, whether it's a 170 inch Ram or a big bull or, you know, a hog in Texas. And that's what I was doing. Like I was trying to get my butt down to Texas as much as possible. Um, not because I was like overjoyed about hog hunting or anything like that, but I was, it, it led to execution and multiple shot opportunities. And I really feel like that's where I honed a lot of that as far as being, being very present during crunch time and then being able to execute. Oh, dude, you, um, you couldn't be more right by what you're talking about. It's, uh, it's like one thing to become a really good archer, which like you say, we talked a lot about on your podcast but the, the real challenge for a bow hunter, and especially a guy that loves it with every fiber of his being like me and you, like we want success so bad, but those adrenaline filled moments, it's like tough to transition being a good shot 
to being a good shot on animals. Like that's the challenge is you build all these skills, you get really good at shooting on a target, you get really consistent, and then you get an animal in front of you and you don't even stick the pin where it goes and the arrow's off and you miss, you know? And so like to be able to transition and be a really good shooter on targets, transition that shooting to being a really good shot on animals. Like, I think that's one of the biggest challenges going for bow hunting. Like you lose your mind in those adrenaline filled moments. And then you think, God, I'm such an idiot. I should quit bow hunting or, you know, whatever <laughs> thoughts go you, run through your head when you air ball. Lots of them. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think we all have, you know? And so pretty soon you just start to get a hold of yourself. And then when you can start to become a good shot on animals, like, man, they just like big critters just start dying because you execute correctly and put that arrow where it's supposed to be. But it takes messing up a lot. Or I think it just takes like a strong mindset of being able to go, okay, no matter what, I'm going to execute a good shot. And once you can like break through and realize that, that punching your trigger when you're when your pin finds the animal is not the answer. Like the answer is to be able to execute correctly. And really that's what you should look at when you're shooting at an animal. Like it's a, it's an opportunity to execute a really good arrow. And once you start to believe in that process and believe that if you execute correctly, a higher percentage of these animals are going to fall to your arrow. Like that's the light bulb moment in bow hunting. I really believe. It, it absolutely is the light bulb moment in bow hunting. I mean, you, you hit it on the head and it's just so funny because as you talk and as I'm listening to you, you know, I'm sitting here and 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 I know we don't have our cameras up, but like, I'm just sitting here nodding my head because it it's so true. And, and for me, you know, I, I use a lot of sports type analogies um, because that's, that's just how I was brought up. You know, I wasn't brought up as a bow hunter, but you know, my dad was a, was a, was a high school baseball, basketball, football coach. I mean, you know, we were in sports all the time. And, and, and when I got into bow hunting and, I just remember not wanting to have that feeling anymore. Um, not wanting to have that feeling of my pin hit the hide and oh, thank God the arrow's gone. Oh, please God, can I have that arrow back? Why did I do that? What's wrong with me? I screwed up so bad. And then saying, well, I'm never gonna do that again. And then doing it again and doing it again and having that feeling where it's like, okay, this is what losing feels like in this sport. I mean, or in this, in this, in this quest, um, this, this is what losing feels like. And I didn't want to have that feeling anymore. And I knew the difference between having that feeling and not having that feeling was basically all on me. It was something that if I could learn to control it and, and embrace it and almost crave it and look forward to it, um, then I would get my game to an entirely other level because for me, you know, and I think we talked about this a little bit when we were podcasting um, on the Born Hunting podcast is, you know, I've always felt like I've been a fairly solid, do a fairly solid job of getting close to game, getting bow hunting close and getting myself into those crunch time moments where I sucked at the start was being able to close. I was a terrible, atrocious closer. And and that, so, so I took that part of my game and said, that has to be better. And not just talking about it, because I think that um, it's very easy to talk about. It's very easy to say, well, next year is going to be better. You know, we have a bum season. It's like, well, next year is going to be better. Well, sure it could be, but what are you going to do to ensure that that next year is going to be better? What are you going to do? Are you going to be able to swallow your pride? You're going to be able to learn from other bow hunters. You're going to be able to immerse yourself in guys that are a better with guys that shoot better than you and take tips and techniques from them and be able to say, Hey, you know, this guy's better than me. What is he doing that I'm not and really reflect. And when I got to that point and 
when 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 my pin hits an animal and I know that it's like, okay, I'm not even thinking about punching anything. I'm just letting that pin float. And now I'm just going to execute the best shot that I can with that arrow. And that's all I can do. I did my job. Now I'm executing to, to my fullest potential and we'll see how it goes. Dude, a hundred percent. Um, I saw this saying the other day, I'm, I'm always screwing up sayings and quotes on my podcast. <laughs> it's kind of a theme, but I, I remember this one that, uh, pressure is a privilege. You know, and it's like so, so true. true. It's like this these high pressure moments. They they don't happen too often. And it's wild. Like, man, you work all year long, 365 days a year. You never punch a trigger and you get that animal in front of you and you lose your mind. You want them so bad. But it's right. like learning these 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 things or learning these lessons and in learning the hard lessons that really hurt. And when it when it hurts you to your core, you learn from it. It cuts deep. And so when you miss a, a giant buck or a giant bull because you didn't execute, and like you say, it takes a couple times or a handful of times of really messing it up where it takes you down to your core where it's like, dude, I got to execute or I don't even want to shoot. So anymore, like that's the way I look at the situation. And in other lessons you have to learn too are to not force arrows. Like we get really good at True. shooting, but not force a bad angle or like people say on elk, like, oh, they're a big target. They have big vitals. Their lungs are 12 inches. <laughs> I love and that for, one. I love for that. me, it's like elk are the toughest animal on planet Earth. For me, I want even a more precise shot on elk. Like I know I've got to put an absolute money shot on them. So even though they're a big animal, even though they don't jump strings and they wait on the arrow, like I've got to execute a good one. And like, like part of that learning curve too is like just getting drawn back and putting your pins on an animal and you're just getting settled and that animal starts to move or starts to go away and you feel like you're going to lose that opportunity <laughs> and you punch a horrible shot off that's nowhere close because the animal's moving and you just feel like you're about one inch tall where you're just like, I am such an idiot. You know, it's like I let it get the better of me, but you need these situations and to learn from them. And I think guys on the podcast can really shorten that learning curve by having a high understanding of like, okay, Jason, Brian are talking so much about executing a quality shot on animals and how difficult it is and how they've screwed up. Like, I'm going to learn from that. And I'm just going to commit to it right now that no matter what, I'm going to execute correctly and executing correctly. Like, even though my target panic days are way behind me, even though I execute my best shot and able to transition my best shooting on animals, I still have to walk around on a hunt thinking about how I'm going to execute when I get that giant bull or giant buck in front of me. Like I'm thinking about it the whole hunt. And then as I'm, I'm, I'm stalking, I'm thinking about it right before I draw my bow, I'm thinking about it. And then there's also this moment that once I get settled into my anchor point, I've got to snap myself out of it again, like right there and go, okay, pull, pull, pull. And I start pulling on my shot. But during any of those moments, if I, have a, a slip in judgment or like I can resort back to my old ways and punch a shot off or something. So it's like even being so far past where I, you know, where I know the right thing to do, I've still got to have this presence of mind when I'm on a hunt. So if I was a, a newer guy or haven't got control of my shot, man, it'd be about all I could think about on a hunt. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, that's, that's, 
<laughs> everything you said there is just absolutely so true. And when it comes to shot execution, I mean, I honestly don't think you can talk about it too much because ultimately that is what is going to, that is what is going to bring success in the end or bring failure in terms of whether that tag goes punched or not. Um, and I know that as, as, as I've progressed as a bow hunter and as I've grown as a bow hunter and I put so much emphasis into that execution part, it has made it's so much more fun for me. Do I still screw up? Sure. Do I still have arrows that hit not exactly precisely where I want them to on an animal? Absolutely. Have I misread things and, and shot an air ball still? Absolutely. But it's, it's much rarer now. And the surprise is now actually when that arrow hits three or four inches back of where I was aiming, or I miss an animal. It, it That's when I'm almost like, well, what, what, what happened? I mean, I'm almost in shock. Like you're very confused where when I was first starting, when, when that, when, when I, you know, that pin hit, hit high and boom, I punched the trigger and it hit that animal and it ran off and died. I was like, how did that just happen? It was, it's kind of reversed now. You know, I, I've, I've come to expect when that, when I do my job um, and my gear is tuned and everything's operating at an optimal level and I do my job, I expect, I expect good results. And, 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 nine times out of 10, you're going to get them. Um, I, you know, you talk about quotes and things like that. One of my, one of my favorite quotes comes from a movie. It's a golf movie called 10 cup. Kevin Costner started it. And he said, I think he said in there and I'll probably screw it up. So I'll, I'll help your theme here of your podcast. Um, and uh, he says in there that perfection is unattainable and he's referring to golf and in golf perfection is unattainable. So, I mean, I do feel like that in bow hunting. I, I, I feel like um, I have so much room to grow and I never want to feel perfect. And I don't think that you can ever be 1 billion percent perfect in this, in this pursuit, but I'm, I want to try. I want, I, I mean, I I've tricked my mind into convincing myself that, you know, if I do all these things and stick to my system and continue to build on that system and those pillars that we were talking about the other day, that I will eventually one day be the perfect bow hunter, even though in this, in this pursuit uh, perfection I do believe is unattainable but man you can give everything in your power to try and you can become um the the joy that comes from executing a shot and that arrow hitting where it's supposed to hit not by chance but because of all the preparation and all the work that you put in for all those off-season months man all those thousands and thousands of arrows boiling down to one moment and that arrow smacks home where you want it like for me that is the ultimate sense of satisfaction that is where all the miles ran all the shots everything just becomes worth it in an instant and and it's that feeling that that, that I chase a lot. It's like, man, I, I want to feel that again. And so that's where you can kind of trans transform. I feel like, you know, early on in my bow hunting career, I was like scared of the moment of truth. I didn't embrace it. I wasn't, I wasn't very present and I almost didn't want it to happen because now I have to perform. And now I want that one chance to bend them back and perform. And, and I think when you can get there and I think I fully believe that everybody can, but it's, it's, it's that attention to detail and doing everything in your power to become the very best shot, very best bow hunter that you can be. And being able to swallow your pride, not make excuses, not talk about something, but actually do it um, that will get you there. Yeah. Yeah, man. hundred percent. It's like, I love that. It's, you know, we put so much into it, you know, you work so hard and in, in the harder you work or the more you put into something, the more it means to you. And so that's why you have those feelings of elation when it does go right. And, 
you know, I like what you said about uh, perfection. Like, you know, I don't think you can be perfect, but I think you can always be better. And I do think you can Absolutely. be perfect on a hunt. Like, you know, a you hunt sure can. can go flawless <laughs> and you hunt really hard. You turn up the trophy critter. You uh, you wait for your moment. You make the perfect stock. And I think, too, as we're like talking about shot execution, like, you know, you can also miss because you didn't get a good range or you can also miss because you try to force an arrow through some limbs or you don't wait for the right angle or and you try to, like, put that arrow in a small spot and you miss that small spot. Like, there's a there's a bunch of different ways to fail. And so, like, not only getting comfortable with this shot and this execution, then that is so important, but but also like being able to get comfortable in bow range and knowing what you can and can't get away with, like, you know, you could mess the whole thing up. Maybe your shot execution is great, but all of a sudden you get into bow range and you're, you're so jacked up that you're, you try to draw when that animal's looking at you and then he busts and he runs out and you never do get the shot. You know, you never get the chance to execute correctly where, you know, if you just would have let that deer look around, he didn't know you were there, maybe was looking through you. And then pretty yeah. soon he puts his head down. Like bucks always, when they stand up from their bed, they look around for danger. And sometimes you think that buck sees you because he's looking right in your direction and you're crouched at 40 yards in the shadows, but he's looking right through you and he'll look at you. And then all of a sudden, 30 seconds later, he'll look the other direction or he'll put his head down and start feeding. Now's your time to draw your bow or like with elk. You know, it's always trying to beat all those cow's eyes, not the bulls. And so exactly. like like waiting to draw your bow when the cows aren't looking in your direction or maybe letting the herd go past you instead of trying to draw when they're right broadside or right coming at you where they're going to catch that motion. And so like learning all these little nuances to the stock and being in bow range and like these are all like crucial lessons and crucial things that you have to improve on to be at your best as well to get the shot. Like getting into bow range is only half the battle. Getting a, a shot at the the right angle and the right spot of that animal is the other oh. half of the equation. And, and it's so important too. And that's learned through experience. But you can pick up tidbits like you know we talk about the information day and age you can pick them up from podcasts apply them to your own hunting and really shorten that learning curve and and just like i just noticed the longer i bow hunt the more comfortable i am being close to these animals being in bow range getting these opportunities and so you know i feel like the longer I do it or the more I do it or the better I get, I feel like I've got ice water running through my veins. I feel like I know what these animals are doing and I'm just waiting for that right angle. And then I'm going to put that perfect arrow through that animal. I love that, man. Yes, absolutely. And, and that is the thing. And I think we talked about this a little bit when we were talking on the, on, on the other podcast. Um, you know, I really believe that so many mistakes, probably more stakes or mistakes are made inside of once you get bow hunting close, because when we get around animals and bow hunting is such a close range type of game and when we get close to those animals it's like oh my gosh i mean they're you know how many times it, like, oh, he was right there he was just right there you know and and we we just almost can kind of black out during those moments but that's those moments where you can just really experience what pure joy is because that is pure joy. I mean, when you have a bull screaming in your face and he's going ballistic or you have a white tail buck um, that you've stalked and he stands up in the sunflowers and you've got the, Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just, those are the moments that you, that you prepare for, but 
like you said, I think so many times people, we tend to get in a rush at that point because we are so close having what we so desired that it's like, I, I, I want it right now. I want it right now. And, you know, I, I, I said this at a seminar a few years ago, I was talking about, um, I was talking about spot and stock antelope and, and I truly believe it, you know, often the difference between going home with a cooler full of meat and a set of horns for the wall and going home with a sob story is giving that inside of bow range an extra two or three minutes sometimes or learning when, okay, nope, that's my shot. It's perfect. I have to get back and execute right now. Um, and just learning to read those animals, read the body language of animals. I mean, I know in 2021, man, when I was on my bighorn sheep hunt, um, you know, I finally drew in Colorado and it was like uh, that day that that tag came, it was just like, I was calling anybody that in the world that would listen. I was like, who else can I go through my contacts? That's going to just listen to me, tell them that I got a bighorn sheep tag. And I was, I was around that sheep um, for about two and a half hours before, I mean, I was bow hunting close to him for two and a half hours before I drew and took my shot. And there were so many times, man, that I was just so close to doing it because your brain starts to tell you, I'll just do it, man. Just take it right now. Just, it's not that bad of an angle. Just, oh, you can fit it over that bush. You'll clear that rock. But like when animals don't know you're there and you're in close, a lot of times if you can just stay patient, they will a shot opportunity will materialize more times than it won't i feel like yeah 100 percent, man congratulations on that ram that is such a beautiful animal man um yeah and the white tail you were talking about this year yeah it's like um uh you're speaking from experience and i can i can hear it in our conversations when we go back and forth I've, i'm like yeah. the same as you i'm always nodding my head like going yeah yeah that is the step yep that is right and what you said is powerful right there of knowing your moment too and like this is my moment i do this is the time to to bend my limbs back and try to make a shot um you know like realizing those moments as well that they're upon you and you you're you're absolutely right is like i don't know why but stalking is not natural for us humans even though it's been our survival for the last 200,000 years and i think that's where a lot of buck fever comes from is like you know we used to it used to be such a big deal to obtain meat for your tribe and and like so when you're shooting at an animal that excitement or that thrill like that's why it can't be matched in anything that I've ever done. It's like tied directly to our DNA. But the one thing that isn't tied to our DNA is like stalking and hunting skill. It's like this learned endeavor for us. And if you if you watch like a mountain lion or like even watching your house cat or a kitten, like stalking is in their DNA. Like they're so patient and they kill, you know, just um pet cats, you know, like in America kill over 1 billion small mammals, like birds and chipmunks and mice. They're so effective and they have to kill them with their teeth and claws. But if you watch a cat stalk out in a field, you watch it move so slow. You watch it keep its back low. It knows all those things about sound and about movement. And then the patience of a cat, like I'll watch a cat crouch down and there's a Tweety bird right in front of it. that's just dancing right in front of it. And you think like, why isn't he grabbing it? And it just waits and it just waits and it waits till the right moment. And then it pounces and that's a dead bird. Like if you can imagine, like how tough would it be for us humans to catch and kill a Tweety bird with our hands. It's like mission impossible. And these cats do it every single day, day in, day out, you know? So it's like, I think we can learn a lot from these animals and being patient in these, 
in these bow hunting scenarios. And you're right. Your brain is always screaming at you. I can't tell you how many times I've screwed up a stock because it's like, oh, he probably isn't there anymore. Or oh, like, yeah. oh, I just need to get to this edge and I can get a shot. Hurry up to the edge. And then you make you scuff your feet or you make a little noise. And now that mule deer is looking right at you when you come over the top to where if you just would have taken a few extra seconds, like you could have been silent. And the the closer you get, the slower you have to move. These ungulates, they pick up on movement and you have to like have this patience to be able to get at a hundred yards and then crouch down and maybe you just wait and you wait in striking distance for the buck to get up when he's not looking at you or when you can keep tabs on him a little bit better to close in the rest of the way. Like um, I see a lot of guys mess up and, and like, you know, some of this we're revisiting things that we've talked about, but like, um, uh, uh, stalking to failure. Like I see guys, they get a chance to stalk a mule deer and they just keep stalking in and keep stalking in and keep stalking in. And pretty soon they're 20 yards and they keep stalking. And then pretty soon that buck hears something, sees something, something's funny. He bounces out of his bed and he's gone, you know? And it's like, well, so well the right move is to like to get close and, and keep the element of surprise that like the element of surprise in bow hunting, it, quite possibly could be the most important thing like not letting that animal know that you're hunting him and sometimes you get in close and he's aware of you and he's looking in your direction and you do have to try to draw and shoot in that moment but boy if you can keep the element of this of surprise and these animals don't know that you're hunting them so instead of going till 20 and stalking till failure you get inside your effective bow range maybe it's 40 50 could even be 60 and then you just wait and that animal doesn't know you're there so it's just going to continue to be a mule deer be an elk it's going to get up it's going to look for danger but then it's going to go down to feed or maybe focus on the rutting that doe or that that cow or whatever it is but if you can just get like if you can get a hold of your mind in those situations and think of yourself as like a house cat a like just like keep the element of surprises number one and like i think of it too is like and i'm getting a bit long-winded but as i'm moving in on a on an animal i think um you know that animal may move off or i may not get the shot but the one thing i'm not going to do is i'm not going to spook it before i get there i'm not going to be the one that screws it up and if i get there to that spot totally silent element of surprise and that buck moved off well guess what he doesn't know i'm here and i can i can recalibrate and continue my stock or maybe i get a stock another day but if i i, I hurry up and rush and it's me that spooks that animal you know then that opportunity is gone and so just a couple things that like run through my head when i'm stalking no i love that man and i don't think you can get too long-winded on that at all um and my thing is kind of the same i i, I always told myself like i want to let that animal make the first mistake and and but before I bump them, before I start making mistakes, I want to give myself a chance to get bow hunting close and then let that animal make the mistake. Um, because if, if, if they don't know you're there, and like you said, that element of surprise is so, so important. And, you know, I was just thinking back while you were talking, talking about that. Um, here a few years ago, I, I had a buddy here and um, he was a great bow hunter, um, wanted to come. He'd never hunted pronghorn. And so he spent like two and a half, three hours stalking and he's crawling through cactus, doing the whole night in the yard, you know, dodging rattlesnakes, everything that goes into a good pronghorn stock. And, um, you know, he gets this buck's bedded and, and, and I really, I was shocked that the bucks stayed bedded as long as he did, but my buddy gets up there and I can tell that he's, you know, I can see him just trying to inch above the grass and grab a range, grab a range. 
And I'm like, okay, he, he, I know he's tight enough. I know he's in range. And in my mind now, I'm just like, okay, um, just wait him out, man, wait him out, you know, see what happens. And I'm watching him through the spotter. So I got my spotter set on him. I got my phone set up so I don't have to be looking through it. I'm just watching my phone. And all of a sudden I see this cow patty go flying through the air. And I'm like, no. And he, he threw, you know, he, he, it was hot. It was well over hundred degrees. It, he'd been there for about 35 minutes and he decided, nope, I'm going to get this animal up. And he got him up. All right. And that diaper butt was gone, man. I mean, it was just a, a vapor trail going across the prairie and he gets back and I'm like, why did you, why did you try to get him up? And he's like, oh man, I just, I just felt like it was such a long stock and I was going to be there another two or three hours. But that goes back to that house cat analogy you were, you were talking about that house cat would have never made that air. He would have never made that move. He would have sat there and pounced at exactly the right time. And so I tell guys all the time, I mean, you work so hard. I mean, how many times have you been bow hunting? I mean, you, me, everybody, when you're bow hunting and you're like, I, I just want to see one. I just want to find something to go after. And then you get that opportunity and you get something to go after. And not only do you get something to go after, but you get to get close enough where now the possibility of taking that animal home with you becomes a, 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 a possible reality. And then we want to hurry that process up sometimes too much. And then we end up blowing it out. And then it's like back to, why did I do that? I was so close. I just wanted to get that close. And then why did I rush? And that comes back to like what we've talked about a lot, just that self-reflection and reflection on all, all your hunts. And that's why, man, I journal after every hunt, like as much as I can, even in the backcountry when I get back in the tent and stuff, I got to jot stuff down in my mind because I'm, 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 I'm obsessive, compulsive, disorder, hyperactive, whatever, whatever there is, I probably have it. And, but I have to jot those things down because I feel like once I put pen to paper and I get my thoughts down that way, um, any mistakes that I made, I feel like I'm starting to build a building block for erasing those mistakes in the future. Yeah, man. Uh, that's powerful. That journaling, uh, learning from your mistakes. Yeah, that's, um, it's so powerful. It's like, man, patience is deadly. It's like, you just, so deadly. <laughs> oh man. It's like, uh, uh, this right mix of, of patience and aggressiveness. And it's a, it's a fine line. And again, it comes down to knowing what you can get away with and what you can't. Uh, but, but you said it perfectly. Like, uh, you know, you I you said it similar to the way I say it. You said let the the buck make the first mistake. I I say let the buck make the last mistake. But yeah, same thing, man. It's like sometimes yeah. if I'm stalking in and there's a buck there and he's bedded, um, and I can see his body and it's like okay, if I try try to move to my right five yards, I could get a shot at its body. But this animal doesn't know I'm here, and it's like I feel like he's gonna catch me if I move to my left. I'd rather keep the element of surprise and let that buck stand up and then walk out and then I get a shot. And and I'm I'm the same school of thought as you is I don't throw rocks. I don't get them up. I don't force situations. And this is just like everybody's different. I know that can work and does work in some scenarios. And you can also be really patient and then be in bow range and that wind swirls and that bucks takes takes off. That's part of it. But what I've learned throughout the years is the the more patient I am and I let these situations situations develop and let these scenarios uh, uh, come to fruition, like I do better, like let the buck make the last mistake. So I keep that element of surprise. And yeah, I mean, I've had to wait four hours for an animal to stand up. And, and I've, I've also had to wait 10 minutes for him to stand sure. up. 
and I've also been sitting there and the wind swirls and they bust me. And and then you think in your head, well, maybe I should have thrown a rock. But for me, the answer is never to force a situation to throw a rock to get them up. It may work for some guys, but my whole school of thought on stalking, on on archery hunting, on bow hunting, like, man, I, I just I'm patient. I just wait for it. But the thin line part of it comes to be like there is a time to move. There is a time to draw your bow. There is a time to capitalize and get the shot. And I've also seen less experienced guys like, you know, you have a herd of elk and they're moving right up the rim and it's a herd of elk with a great big bull in the back. And all of a sudden my buddy is like crawling like for 30 or 40 yards and he's moving so slow, which is good. But these elk, by the time he gets to the edge, now they've moved off a range in it's like a more experienced bow hunter would just know, well, in that situation, I don't have to crawl because I've got this ledge that's blocking their view of me. Like right now, right. I can just move slowly on my feet and keep quiet, get to that ledge and get that shot. Like, so that's where it's a fine line of like knowing when you have to capitalize. It's like knowing what you can and can't get away with, you know? So it is a fine line where you can be too patient or too slow as well and then not get the opportunity. Yeah, but it's such a fun line to to walk. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely such a fun line to walk, but it can also be, um, I, I've always said bow hunting will take you to the highest of highs and it will take you to the lowest of lows. And, um, you know, it's it's just, and, and that's how what I feel like a lot of times, I mean, um, you know, and, and, and for people to understand too, that, that, that you can do everything right. You can do everything to perfection and, you can't control the wind. You can't control a quick wind switch. I mean, three seconds on the back of your neck when you are close is too long. And, and, and that can be over. It can be over so fast. And you're just like, why did that just happen? But understanding that, you know, I don't know why it just happened, but it happened. And now I have to regroup and get back after it. I mean, so the wind changed. Um, so you kicked a rock or, you know, so, so different things can, can happen. I mean, I know that um, I was watching here the other night, I think it was, yeah, I was watching your hunt on um, your, 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 for your Billy. And um, I was certain like watching it, man, you just, you're right on that ledge and that Billy's over there. And I was guessing, like, I'm sitting there guessing on, you know, my television. I'm like, I'm going to say it's somewhere between 45 and 52 and he's in bow range. And then, then boom, you know, the, the camera's on the Billy and he's just gone. And then it goes back to you and you can just see, you can see that instant deflation of like, I was so close to my goal. I was, I was seconds from achieving everything that I worked so hard for and the wind switched, but then it, then, then, you know, just whoop, you could just see, you know, like right back to positivity. No problem. I'm going to get back on another one. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep going. And, and, and I mean, just understanding that that's all part of bow hunting as well. I mean, you can do everything right. You can be patient at the right time. You can be aggressive at the right time. You can do all these things right. But those animal senses are so keen and they're so sharp. And for some reason, because they wanted to, they decided to get up in the middle of your stock and rebed five different times or walk over Ridge and you get there to an empty bed and you're like, what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. Something just happened. That animal got up and moved. I mean, it, 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 that's their domain and they're just such a wild creature and it's just such a joy to go out there and try to match wits with them in terrain that they just live in year round. I mean, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't expect to win. I mean, let, let me rephrase that. I expect to win every time, but understanding that sometimes you're not going to, 
and being able to come back off of that and just go, okay, now it's time to go back to work. Mm, yeah, dude. That's it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it 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 does. You 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 can't. There's this there's this feeling when you get so close and it doesn't happen that that was my opportunity and I I messed it up. That was you know I finally got the bull in range and and I I messed up. It spooked him or I missed my shot or whatever. But um, man, persistence is deadly. And and the truth oh. is is no matter how good we get, like there's a lot of animals that I glassed up. I mean, I chased a 200 inch buck last year and didn't kill him. And, and the scenario was so wild, dude. He was like a great big buck and I played it perfect. I was on the vantage point. Uh, it wasn't a classic mule deer as they were just getting into their secondary living. So this is like post velvet. Right. The buck was still in velvet, but another big one was rubbed or about half the bucks were rubbed. So they were moving down into thicker cover. And so I, I bet him in this thicker cover, but I didn't know his exact bed. So I've learned throughout the years that if I don't know his exact bed, it's like a lower percentage chance. So instead, I like you know, hike all day to position myself above them with a good vantage point with a good wind. And that's the other thing with the winds too, is like this higher understanding of the thermals and the directionals, more stocks get busted by wind than anything else. So Absolutely. if you can be better at knowing how mountain winds operate and how they do in overcast, how they do during storms, bright sunshine, how the, 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 the dominant direction or uh, the directional winds move through the canyons, how the thermal winds start to drop. So all this knowledge comes into play and you're using all these skills that you've spent 20 years, at least in my case, 25 years to obtain, like you're trying to use all of this cause you want this buck so bad. And I, had the buck bedded in the timber, got positioned above him. Well, in the evening, downhill thermals, here the bucks come out in the park where I thought they would. And it's like, okay, now's my chance. I loop around and I come up the draw and I've just got this uh, thermal wind that's right in my face because the mountains are starting to get shaded. It's the last hour sunlight. And it's like, oh, this is perfect. You know, oh, I've got him, you know? And, and like, so now I'm creeping up to where he is. I drop my pack and I just start slipping in and gosh, I get about a hundred yards away from him where I can't see him yet. There's still like a fold and I hear the deer blowing and I'm like, oh man, like what happened? Like, I know the wind didn't switch. I, it's been perfect in my face the whole time. And so I like hurry up and try to creep up where the bucks are just to see them as I know they're kind of spooked. Maybe there's that buck hanging broadside or whatever it is. And I run face to face into a mountain line at 30 yards. So that mountain oh. line was either stalking those deer or came down with a bad wind or whatever, busted those bucks that I was stalking. And it was like, you know, that's just like part of what can happen. You know, it, it is just part of it, you know, but it was, it's, it's soul crushing, but all you can do in those moments, pick yourself back up and get back after it. Like get in the right headspace. Don't um, cry over spilt milk or feel sorry for yourself. Like sure. It hurts. Sure. It's painful. Sure. You want that buck, but it's like, well, I just got to get back after. I got to either find another one or relocate that buck. But you get good at like not accepting failure, but like being okay with it because you're right. Their instincts are so keen that no matter how good you get, you're just not going to win every time. But the better your skill set gets, the better your stalking gets, the better your win diagnosis, your execution on shots, those chances just go up and up. So like the better you get – like the the higher percentage chance you have to harvest that monster animal when you find them, you know, and 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 that's that's bow hunting, man. 
Oh man, that's so perfect. Like as you're sitting there talking about, you know, the, the mountain shadows and coming up and getting everything right. Like I just find myself like leaning in closer to my computer. Like I'm watching it on TV, man, because those are like, that's it, man. Those are the moments that, uh, those are the moments that make it great. And I think too, you know, you talked, you talked about understanding that, um, you know, that, that, that sometimes like that mountain lion or that wind switch or any of those things, um, just understanding you have to go into any adventure, you know, any, any adventure understanding that, um, you know, there are things that are going to be out of your control. And when one of those things rears its ugly head and, you know, it costs you a shot or costs you an animal or this or that or whatever. Um, it's just like you said, no, nobody feels sorry for you. I mean, but you, I mean, no, you know, it's, it, it, the animal doesn't feel sorry for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody feels sorry for you. If you're hunting with a buddy, I think it's super, super important. Like if you're back and packed in the back country with a buddy that, you know, let's say your day, you know, a lot of times when, when, when we go back in the back country and we, we, we elk hunt with buddies and we're calling for each other or doing whatever we're doing, you know, we'll, we'll take turns. Like we'll take certain, you know, we, one guy might have a full day or we might break it up into half days or, Hey, you know, you got this one. We, the next one whatever it wants to be but like I found a lot of times like early in my bow hunting career I was really guilty of like you know a, an opportunity going awry for me or like being like oh man I was so close but I didn't get it and then well now it's my buddy's turn and then I wasn't being a very good hunting partner at that point like I wasn't as engaged as I was in what I was doing so now I'm not you know I'm not focused enough on calling for him I'm not paying attention as much to my foot placement as I'm moving through the woods I'm not I'm not looking for those open shooting lanes of where that bull may come down from and getting him set up where he needs to be. Um, it's, so it's just, it's just coming to the understanding that, you know, failure is definitely a part of bow hunting. And, and, um, but like, like you said, the more pillars that you can build, like the more little feathers that you can get in your cap as you go, the more proficient that you are going to be. And you, when, when something bad does happen, you're just able to rebound so much faster. You're able to relocate that buck, like you said, or you're able to, you know, loop around and get back on that bull or whatever it takes. Um, all of a sudden it just, it, it, it becomes a little easier because you know, you've spent so much time out there. You've gotten kicked in the teeth so many times that it's like, well, what's another one? Now I just got to regroup and go get it done still because nothing changes. I'm still here to accomplish a goal. This one didn't work out the way it wanted to, but the next one will. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you have to be good at that, at that reset because you are going to fail and it is going to crush you and you just got to pick <laughs> yourself up and get back after it. Persistence is deadly. Keep putting forth the effort. And I, I really think like those skill sets, like I think I kill a lot of animals due to my knowledge of wins, especially elk. And then, you know, what really sharpened that skill set as we talk about different species and different habitats is like, you know, black bears in the spring for me. Uh, I try to uh, chase those things with my bow and try to arrow a good mature boar. But, um, you know, a, a, a black bear can smell seven times what a bloodhound can can smell. And a bloodhound, like if somebody gets kidnapped in a car and they drive down the road, a bloodhound can ch can follow the scent that comes out of the vents of that car for miles, you know. And that's like the scent that came that's out of amazing. that car days ago. And a bear can smell seven times that. So when you spook a black bear, uh, uh, 99 out of 100 times, it was the wind, you know? And so, like, right. you get this higher understanding of being able to read these winds. And, like, where that comes into play is, like, 
elk hunting and chasing the herd. Like, you know, you just understand how these directionals and these thermals work. You get really good at reading the wind. You get really good at hedging hedging your bets of which direction the winds are going to swirl or come. And so you can put yourself on the right side of the directionals and on the right side of the thermals and move in. And then even if it swirls a little bit, it doesn't swirl in that opposite direction. But I, I really think like this higher understanding of the winds and how they blow through the mountains. And like you're saying, taking notes, like throughout the hunt, I am taking tabs and taking notes on what the winds are doing. What are the winds doing in the morning? What are they doing in the evening? What are they doing with the southwest directional? How do they roll over this mountain? Understanding the the strong side, the the strong wind side, and the lee wind side, you know? Uh, the lee wind side, it's like a washing machine on the top third of that mountain as it blows over the top and then just swirls over there. So I know that I'm not going to stock a buck on the lee wind side. Uh, you know, unless everything is perfect or right or like, uh, but I just know that, that that's a, a, a failing endeavor, like that, you know, it's a low percentage and I'm probably going to get over there. The wind's going to switch or swirl or blow in a certain direction. I'm going to blow that animal out. So understanding that I know not to go all in, in that moment, you know? So I, I think I kill a lot of animals just by this higher understanding of the winds. And so like we can take all these pieces of our game and sharpen them and get better at them and make less of those mistakes where we spook that animal and more of those perfect stalks and then perfect shots when they're sitting there. So yeah, man, I mean, that's what, that's what drives me to work so hard and try to improve my skill sets and try to get better is like when I do locate one of those giant animals, I just want to give myself the best chance at killing them. And it, it doesn't happen every time, but it's definitely like a higher percentage just by my skill sets and, and how hard I've worked to get them to where they are. Absolutely, man. And having those skill sets and being able to work that hard to get there and then being able to put them to practice and then reap those rewards. I mean, that makes it, you know, for me that make, like I said, that makes all the miles run, that makes all the, all the, all the shooting, all the journaling, all the things that we do, you know, it it just, it just provides such a sense of satisfaction because there's more to it than almost, it wasn't by happen chance, you know, it wasn't by just pure luck that I didn't just slop out. I actually, I actually, took the time to get good at my craft. And now I'm executing at the highest level that I know how. And that is a powerful feeling. Like I just, I mean, I I think that's just a super, super powerful feeling. And, you know, you were talking about the wind a little bit and I just, man, that, that is such an important thing. And one of the hardest things I feel like to fully get a good grasp on, but when you learn how to use the wind effectively, um, it it, it can change your game. And, and, And one of the things, you know, for me down here on the plains um with whitetails especially man wind has really 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 changed the way that i look at going in and harvesting a mature whitetail because um a lot of times man again this kind of goes back to what i talked about at the start um i want to do things a lot of times that are a little bit out of the norm so a lot of times i will look for wind patterns that put the wind just right enough for me and just wrong enough for that buck if i know where a mature buck is bedded like during october or during the early season and i think that i've got that his bed pinned down and i know where i pretty sure where he wants to go i want that wind almost borderline just right for him and just 
just just just right for me but just wrong enough for him where it's almost like he's coming one way and and learning how to study those patterns and figure out when that's available and also understanding that like man i've had four or five days of a south wind and nothing but south and then all of a sudden you look at the forecast and it's like okay tomorrow's going to be an east wind i don't care if it's a thousand degrees i'm going to go get in my whitetail stand or i'm going to go hunt that day for whitetails because just a simple wind change is going to cause those deer to use the terrain and topography different because they're going to be cruising with their nose in a different direction and those little things can change things drastically and that's just the wind and i mean that's just scratching a little bit of the surface of what we could talk about with the wind dude that's so smart yeah that's like you know it's the same as me but it's different you know because it's whitetails yeah. and when you talk about it uh, how strategic you are with the wind it's like oh man that's it and i was just talking to my buddy uh, andy may who i've had on the podcast a couple times mm-hmm. i think he's like bow hunting dad on instagram or what a great guy and he made down it made it down to the desert this year and was hunting and so we kind of just touched bases i didn't have him on the podcast but we were talking and one of the things he said down there is like He'd get into where these bucks were betting, and he was hunting a lot on gut and feel because the vantage points were so far away from the flat that he was hunting that he had to get in there, and he was tracking a lot of these bucks, and then it'd start to get thick in these um, mesquite flats, and then he's like, well, I could tell that they're going to be betting soon, but he was using the wind to his advantage because he said in the desert, he said every time these deer would get up, they'd move into the wind. And so he could use like their rough betting location and then he could position himself almost with a wrong wind, but cheating it just enough with a crosswind <laughs> to know that bro. these deers are going to deer going to cross and move into that wind. He would position himself there and that was creating opportunities for him, like being able to, to know that wind. And I was like, oh, man, that is super smart. That is like one way that I you know, that I haven't really been using the wind and something that he keyed in on that, you know, like really helped him down there is like, yeah, nine times out of 10, they're going to move into the wind. So I'd position myself over there with a bit of a crosswind to where they'd cross in front of me and it was working for him. I was like, oh man, Andy, that's super smart. But it's, it's like just using the wind in a different way. You're using it in a different way in the whitetails, me with bears, Andy with muleys on the, uh, down on the desert floor. Like there's, you know, I also think like creative thinking is rewarded in, in these killing almost these always. animals is like, it's almost like problem solving. These animals got to be five, six, seven years old because they're crafty and smart and because they live in areas where hunters don't kill them. And so throughout that, like you got to be pretty creative just in your your strategy or your game plan of how you're going to kill that animal. And the more creative thinking you have, like maybe you love to stock bucks in their bed, but they're crossing through this saddle day in, day out. And it's like, oh, if I position myself on that saddle, I can cut them off and the wind's going to be right and I can kill them there. So it's like this creative thinking and problem solving is so powerful in the bow hunting mountains. Oh, it really is, man. And And that's the type of thing, like it's, it's, it's it, it, different experiences that you have bow hunting in different places and just learning, learning how to, 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 to put all that together and put it to practice. Like you said, I mean, the way I use the wind sometimes for whitetails might be totally different than the way you're using it for, like you said, spring bears or, or early season bucks or, or whatever, but just having an understanding of, you know, again, it just goes back to all those pillars and the more information that you can put in your tank, the more you can continue to fill that up because you never know when you find something or learn something that you're going to have to call on. You might've 
you know, you might've had something happen five, six years ago that you thought, man, that was a fluke. That's never going to happen again. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where you're like, man, I need to pull that card. That's that, that could be what gets the job done right now. Um, and, and that may be what you need to do, but it's, it's, it's having that knowledge and building that knowledge and being out there and getting yourself to that point, um, that can really make all the difference. Um, especially when it comes to being successful at punching those tags. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like these answers aren't black and white either. These solutions no, aren't black and it. white. It's like, it's shades of gray. And well, I'm not talking about the movie or the book, but shades <laughs> of gray, are like decision-making, you know, it's like, gosh, you, you're not sure if it's going to work or not, but I think it comes down to like really honing your instincts and decision-making ability and then trusting your gut. You make a decision, you go with it. And, and then also being able to adapt to the situation at which you're given, you know, it's like, Sometimes I get in there and that bucks at a hundred yards, but you know, I know that if I push in inside my bow range, I'm going to spook that buck or there's a good chance I will. So instead I'm just going to sit back there and I'm going to wait, but being able to adapt to the situation or I might have a stock planned and then I get over there and I realize, oh man, this, this patch of timber, I thought I was going to be hidden. I'm exposed. I need to adjust my stock over to the left a little bit, or you get over there and like the wind isn't exactly what you thought. It's like, oh, I got to approach this buck farther over to the left because the wind isn't doing exactly what I thought it was over here. So like being able to trust your gut, make decisions, and then the the ability to be able to adapt to the situation you're given, I think is really powerful. It absolutely is, man. And and like you said, it's just that constant being able to constantly adapt. And when you're on a hunt, I feel also, you know, being able to be super, super flexible with the cards that are thrown at you. I don't think you can ever go into a hunt. Um, and I see guys out here all the time every year, you know, because where I live in Colorado, you know, it's 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 an OTC unit for archery pronghorn. Um, you know, our numbers are not what they were even close to what they were um, years ago. But, you know, we still get a lot of a lot of public land traffic out here and i meet guys all the time every year and and, and i start talking to them and they're like well, well, well i mean they came they're going to sit on water you know come hell or high water they're going to sit on water and you know that might be after four days of just torrential downpours that seem to kill those ground blind sets all the time in august you know because that's our wet season here and or, or they come and they say okay you know i'm gonna decoy and that's the only thing i'm gonna do i want to decoy i mean whatever hunt you have to go on i'm looking to be as flexible as possible whatever it takes to get the end result goal that i want I will pull any tactic that I feel will put that advantage in my favor. I don't think as bow hunters, you, I mean, you never really want to pigeon your pigeonhole yourself into saying, I only want to do it this way. Um, you know, I know when I elk hunt, um, for me, I, I'm much more into the calling portion of it. Um, even though I love spot and stock hunting where I know, you know, and I don't want to speak for you, but I, 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 I know you mentioned how much you love to stock elk and I do too. I just, I prefer the calling side of things, but if stalking is going to work better, if that bull is absolutely popping off as he's moving his cows around and I can just use his bugles to pinpoint his location and I can inch in and again, letting him make those mistakes, me staying quiet and sliding in, I'm going to get it done that way too. I want to be able to be a very versed as a bow hunter and be able to call on a wide range of tactics, no matter what they are, stay super flexible and do things that are outside the norm a lot. Because I found again, when I do something that's just kind of out 
outside the norm, you know, like that whitetail hunting that stand, you know, on a south, southeast wind when the south wind was right for that buck. I mean, I pictured him and when he came in and I got to kill him, I pictured like a cartoon, like he's coming down right into the wind and my wind is just this green line that is just sliding right past his olfactory system, man. Just like where it's just so, so he... It was just like the perfect trap had been laid and then it worked, you know, um, could that have wind up swirled a little bit and got it? Yeah. But I mean, it's just being able to sometimes take those chances too, when you really feel in your gut, you know, you talked a lot about you going off your gut, your buddy in Arizona or down on the plains going off of his gut. A lot of times that's what I do. It just feels right. It's like, I should do this. And, and when your gut's telling you something, your heart's telling you something, you feel good about it. A lot of times it's going to work out. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's the stuff. It's like uh, going with an open mind and uh, adjusting your tactics to what those animals will give you is um, is so powerful. And, dude, it's so difficult, right? It's like bow hunting. Oh. You know, it's easy to sit here and talk about the success <laughs> we've had on different critters. But sometimes you get out there and it's like, how am I ever going to get an arrow into a mature six point? How am I ever going to arrow a mature buck? It feels like mission impossible sometimes, you know. Oh. But it's amazing oh. if you keep putting forth the effort, you, you keep theorizing you keep coming up with solutions to problems pretty soon you're looking at a buck through the glass and pretty soon you're stalking a buck and pretty soon these these pieces to the puzzle just start coming together and you're sitting in bow range and get to bend the limbs back and put an arrow through an animal you know it's like you know sometimes i'll be on day five six seven of like oh man this is impossible you know it's like here i've it tried sure to get close and i busted them here and the winds yeah. busted me but eventually that persistence is deadly. And if you keep putting forth the effort and believing like you can make something happen. And that's another thing on these hunts. I'm, I'm getting towards the end of our time. And again, we could just podcast all day. This has just been a great one as like we we jumped off right where we left off off your <laughs> we podcast. Really did. We but, so um, you know, that that inner drive or inner monologue has to be there as well, because it is going to be difficult. You are going to run into hunting pressure. You are going to go into places that don't have game that you thought should have game. But just keeping this this inner dialogue of I'm going to keep putting forth the effort until this comes together. And, and it's like just looking over that next ridge, just theorizing where the next vantage point is, just like continuing to put forth that effort and believing in the end goal and end cause um, is huge because you're going to have ups and downs during a hunt. And some of those downs and not finding animals, feeling like it's impossible, busting animals out, like that's all part of it. But if you just continue to believe, continue to put forth that effort, it's amazing what can come together. Oh, it's so true, man. I mean, and that for me has been the biggest, I would say one of the biggest aspects to, to, to my success is being able to just answer that bell every day. Um, being able to get up even, you know, even earlier when you're just so dog tired because you know you need to be at this position at this time and not taking any shortcuts and just, yeah, man, just just continuing to answer the bell. I mean, you know, if you slated 10 days for a backcountry hunt, um, you know, if things look bleak on day three and things have happened and you've got your teeth kicked in and it just feels like, like you said, I, I mean, still to the all, all the time. Like I'll find myself in a hunt knowing that, hey, if I keep going, eventually I'm going to get my one opportunity. But like my mind sometimes won't let me think that way. It's like, well, this is the one, this is the time that it's not going to, you know, I'm not going to get my chance. I'm not going to get my opportunity. This feels so impossible to get close to this animal and actually let an arrow go. But, you know, you, you, you have to resist that and you have to just keep going. And if you've given yourself 10 days for a backcountry hunt, 
and it's day three and you're like, nope, uh, I'm, I'm pulling the plug. Don't just keep going. Just, just keep staying after it because it's amazing how all of a sudden, man, and I'm sure you've had bow hunts like this. I've had bow hunts like this where I have just been like this, this, this isn't going to happen. And 45 minutes later, I was tagged out, sitting there just mind blown over just this, this event that just took place where it's like, how did this happen? Well, it happened because I was out there. I wasn't at camp. I wasn't back in my truck. I wasn't on the trailhead home. I was just out there. And, and the opportunity arose and I capitalized on it. But it's just amazing what can happen when you stay consistent, stay on the grind and just keep going. A lot of good will come from that. Oh man, effort is rewarded. It like brings me back to like, uh, not this past season, but 22, I had a Shiris moose tag. 30 days I put into that Shiris moose tag. I remember tag. following it, dude. And, oh, and I was dude. just like, oh my gosh, he's going to get, and, and, and I know it's a once in a while. It's just like, oh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I followed that so closely because I was just like, I wanted it for you so bad. It was so difficult. And at times I questioned myself and my, my inner dialogue changed, you know, pretty soon I, I like started joking with my buddies and it was like a joke. It's like, oh man, I'm the, I'm the, the crappiest mule. I'm the crappiest moose hunter alive. Cause I've been hunting Alaskan Yukon and now I've been hunting Shiris all these days, but I had to change that inner dialogue. I go, I'm Brian, you know, you're, you're a good bow hunter. You keep to these tactics. You keep putting forth effort. I don't care if you didn't see a moose today. I don't care if you have put a thousand dollars worth of gas in your truck. You, you keep driving these roads. You keep finding master vantage points. You, you keep still hunting crick bottoms. You keep working because I know at the end of the day it can come together. And when it finally came together, it was a foot and a half of snow. It was rifle season. I was wearing orange, still carrying my bow. And I finally found like the bull I was looking for and able to stalk in. And it's like, Moose aren't known to being the the spookiest of critters, but here are 30 days and I finally found a shooter bull. The last thing I'm going to do is spook this thing. So here it is <laughs> below zero foot and a half of snow, and I'm just stalking through this swamp, but just like I'm wet all the way up to my thighs, oh. you know, but I'm stalking him like he's an antelope, you know, it's like I am not going to mess this up. And then to get in there and put a perfect arrow through his lungs and kill my first moose, a Shiris bull, just all because of this belief in this constant effort in 30 days and maybe i am a crappy moose hunter but here i am with an archery killed shyrus moose you know it's like you got dude, your moose it's, though buddy oh it, like it, it teaches you those oh. lessons you know and and once you learn those lessons you can draw upon them but yeah just keep your head in the game man it's like if you keep putting forth that effort it's like good things will happen some opportunity will present itself and and that's been my bow hunting career and it sounds like it's been your bow hunting career as well uh, it definitely has, man. And then I just try to take that same aspect into everyday life, you know, whether I'm coaching kids or, you know, as a husband, as a father, um, you know, just the things that I do, I, I want to give it my very best. I want, I want, um, I want to give that maximum effort, um, you know, and, and it's just like it within coaching sometimes, you know, I've, I've had years where you coached, you know, and, and you just, your team, you're just, you're just not very good. You, you have great kids, but the talent level just isn't there, or maybe the numbers aren't there, or this or that. And it's like, in those moments, I found myself even coaching harder because I, I don't want to give anybody the chance to say, well, you know, they, that coach would have coached harder. I just want to leave no doubt. Like, I, and I think that's something that it just in life in general, I mean, I want to leave no doubt. I want my kids to know I love them unconditionally. I want my wife to know that I'll do anything that anything under the sun that she needs 
to be to, to feel fulfilled and feel like man she's got a, a a good man in her life that you know it just and and, and I almost start shaking when I talk about it because it, it really does mean so much to me is that I want to put maximum effort into everything that I do because you know it just kind of goes back to that saying that I feel like anything worth doing is worth doing right you know I just I've never been one to you know kind of half half butt it man I've just been if it's something that I'm passionate about it's something that I, I I'm all in I want to be my very best and I want to give others my very best too and I think that that's what makes you know that that's what makes this life that is so short so special man when you can come to that place where you're just like man today has just sucked but you know what I'm gonna still give it my very best I'm gonna be I'm going to be better tomorrow too. I'm going to, you know, when you can find joy in, in times when things suck, oh man, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's probably another topic, but uh, yeah, I get, I get kind of passionate about that. (laughs) Yeah. Same man. We're just cut from the same cloth. It, uh, it goes back to shopping with your wife, right? Right. Oh my God. Yeah. And <laughs> they're saying the from your podcast. Of Bed, Bath and Beyond, you've got to go in, fellas. Don't yeah. sit in the massage chair. Don't sit out there and play on your phone. Go in with her. You know, you know, let them let her try on the clothes, smell the perfumes, you know, do all the things and uh use that like we talked about on that podcast. Use that as mental toughness training because uh, you know, seven, eight hours in the mall for me is very, very painful. I'd rather be um, running a hundred mile race than, than, than sitting in a mall for seven or eight hours. It's almost uh, more painful to do that, but Hey, we do it. So funny. Yeah. It's how you do one thing is how you do everything. So yeah, man, we're just, um, it's, uh, we're cut from the same cloth. Well, dude, we got to wrap this up or otherwise this is going to be a four hour podcast, but you got to come on again, man. I just love these in-depth conversations and I, I love how unique this conversation is. It's like we finished that podcast the other day and, and go check it out on born hunting. Um, man, it's a great conversation. I was like, oh man, you know, there was almost like a little bit of stress behind it. Like how can we top that or how, you know, it's such a good conversation and podcast. Like, gosh, I, you know, so I'm trying to think of ideas of what we can talk about in this <laughs> podcast, too. but, but pretty soon we're just such like-minded bow hunters that we just get talking and the, the conversation is so powerful around what we love to do. So, uh, I think we did it. I think we recorded another good one. So yeah, thanks so much, Jace, man. I really appreciate you. Let's, um, make sure we keep in touch and, um, definitely got to do this again. No, man, really, it was an honor being on. Um, like I said, um, I've just always, I've always looked at you in in the highest regard and being able to talk to you has just been a joy. I've totally enjoyed it. And 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 really, man, thanks for having me on the podcast because it's a podcast I'm, I'm definitely a fan of and uh, a fan of everything that you do, what you stand for. So it was an honor to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, man. We'll talk soon. All right, guys, fun conversation with Jace. Thanks to him for um, making the time, coming on Eastman's Elevated, and also thanks for his authenticity and sharing so much good information that's helped make him a better bow hunter. So uh, really enjoyed that episode. Go check out the episode I recorded with him over at uh, Born Hunting, um, his podcast that he started. That was a great conversation, all different subject matter from this one, so check that out. And uh, also check him out on his social media. I really enjoy his posts. You can just see his knowledge come out when he's talking about shooting or execution or practice or whatever he does. So he has a great social media feed. And uh, with that, thanks to our sponsors for today's show. Uh, I want to thank Onyx. I want to thank Outdoor Edge Knives, Black Ovis, and Camo Fire. 
Thanks to Eastman's for all their support of the podcast. Make sure to check out everything we do. The uh, Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. Uh, Check out both magazines. The one EBJ is the one I wrote the anchored in for this one. Also have an article in there. And uh, our other podcasts as well. Uh, Do that podcast with Dan Picard that's really gone well that I really enjoy. And uh, so we put that out bi-weekly. So next week there'll be a new episode there. So, um, man, with that, just, um, working hard, that, that lift sure is shooting good for me. Um, I've got that thing just absolutely dialed in. And, um, so yeah, just now, uh, dialing it in on outdoor, getting my sight tape built and, uh, make sure I have that thing ready to rip for spring bear season. So super pumped about that. And, um, man, I just, uh, uh, yeah, just, um, training hard and getting my family time in. It's um, really fun to be getting in the runs this time of year and uh, fitness. And then, um, like I say, the shooting and getting that bow dialed up, just all the necessary stuff and the planning, really, like the planning and tag application this year. It really excites me. Like I love playing with the possibility of some of these tags I may draw and trying to play the odds and get my name in these hats. So I really enjoy this. So I'm doing a lot of map research, trying to lay out my season and where I'll be hunting and what I'll be hunting and then, you know, shooting for the moon in some of these tags. And so I would just love to get lucky on some of those. So um, just a fun time of year for me where I kind of wrap up hunting season and get my family time in and just uh, getting all my life in order too, you know, as I run so chaotic during hunting season. So things have been going good, uh, finishing out these couple homes, which is really nice. They're coming out uh, just beautiful. We just got the one sheet rocked and then um, painting it now, and then we'll start on the interior on finishing it up. Pretty have Pretty much have all my stuff coming. I have a huge order from Forever Barnwood, their sponsor of the show, and uh, so we're going to finish this house out with um, Forever Barnwood doors and base and case trim, things of that nature. So it's going to be beautiful. I'll take some photos and put them up on my social as long as the owner's okay with it. And um, man, with that, just carry on. Um, Yeah, be at that expo. Make sure to stop by and say hi if you're there. Going to get some good recordings there and looking forward to that. And uh, Maybe Utah will um, feel like giving me a tag, an expo tag as well. You never know. So get my name in enough hats, and eventually um, my uh, name and number will come up. So um, keep working hard towards your goals, you guys. Really appreciate the support of the podcast, listening in each and every week. Um, Yeah, I just appreciate you guys a bunch and pulling for your success for this upcoming season in 2024. Um, You know, it's... uh, it's fun to have such a passion like backcountry hunting like we have and um it it's nice to be real excited about life and about the future and um we are the lucky ones for sure so thanks you guys i appreciate you we'll check in with you next week